0: No flying experience. However, due to a tragic emergency, he was forced to fly an airplane. On June 17, 1998, he and his 52-year-old pilot friend, Wesley Sickle, were flying from Indianapolis to Muncie, Indiana. During the flight, the pilot slumped over and died at the controls. The Cessna 172 single-engine plane began to nosedive and... Kupferschmidt grabbed the controls. He got on the radio and pleaded for help. Nearby were two pilots who heard the call. Mount Comfort was the closest airport, and the two pilots gave Robert, <laughs> we're just not going to try that one more time. Robert, a steady stream of instructions of climbing and steering, and the scariest part, landing. The two experienced pilots circled the runway three times before this somewhat frantic and totally inexperienced pilot was ready to attempt the landing. Emergency vehicles were called out and ready for what seemed like an approaching disaster. Disaster. Witnesses says the plane's nose nudged the center line and bounced a few times before the tail finally hit the ground. The Cessna ended up in a patch of soggy grass next to the runway. And amazingly, Robert was not injured. This pilot listened and followed those instructions as if his life depended on it, because they did. Our capacity for listening and focus when it's important Is unbelievable. And yet, I worry that most of the time, our ability to assess when it is important sometimes is a little bit lacking. Sometimes, I think the truly important, like God's voice in our lives, gets simply drowned out by all the noise of life. It strikes me that our ability as Christians to focus on, hear, and understand God may be one of those things that should make us distinct. And yet I worry that we listen to God less than we should. And so, as we think about this, let us turn in our Bibles to the book of First Samuel, chapter three, verse one. First Samuel, chapter three, verse one. While, while you're turning there, I'll remind you that today we continue our series asking the question: How are we as Christians supposed to be different from our non-Christian neighbors and co-workers? Would someone be able to distinguish a Christian from a good atheist in the Peace Corps? Or do those kind of actually look similar? Is it enough to say that we simply attend church? Or is there something about church and really the faith that's supposed to make us fundamentally different from the people around us? Because here's the thing, as I read the scriptures, Old and New Testament, I can't help but come away with this idea that we as Christians are supposed to be different. That that we're supposed to be set apart. That we're supposed to be even holy, is the biblical word for it. And of course that doesn't make us superior, quite the contrary, it actually makes us more humble. But it makes us different. Different. What's more, this holiness shouldn't just be a state of mind, but it should affect our priorities, our personalities, our relationships, and even our actions. We should live differently because of our faith. And so throughout this series, we're looking at the life of Samuel, because not only was he himself set apart, but then also he anointed and set apart the first two kings of Israel. And so our hope is that we can learn from Him what it means for us to be set apart. As 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We have been anointed, sealed, sealed, and filled by the Holy Spirit. So we probably should live like it. So let's take a look today at how Samuel tunes in and responds to the voice of God, how he lives differently than the people around him. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel throughout, through his word. Amen. Last week, we saw how Samuel was set apart. Today, we see him receiving a word from the Lord. And more than that, we see Samuel step into or begin to step into his new role as God's representative. He will become not just a priest of Israel, but a judge, a leader of Israel. As our passage begins this morning, Samuel seems to be a young apprentice in the temple under the tutelage of Eli the priest. And we find Samuel lying down in the temple and God calls him. Of course, Samuel doesn't recognize the calling of God because he's never heard God before. So understandably, he runs to Eli because who else would be calling him at this hour? Eli, woken from his slumber, dismissively tells Samuel, it's not me, go back to bed. The whole sequence happens a second time and any parent who is used to young children running into their room in the middle of the night will be able to attest to Eli's growing frustration and annoyance as his sleep keeps getting interrupted. When God calls a third time, Samuel again runs to Eli, and this time, either because Eli recognizes what's happening, or simply to make the problem go away. He tells Samuel, go back to bed, and this time, just say, here I am. In other words, by revelation or calculation, he basically tells the boy, if you hear a voice, just talk to the voice. Don't come wake me up anymore. And I can attest, at some level, that's what you say. Sure enough, God does call a fourth time, and this time Samuel acknowledges God calling, and God reveals his will and his plan to Samuel. The next morning, Samuel wakes up and resumes his duties in the temple, and there's a little bit of an illusion here, and he opens the doors of the house of the Lord, as if they've been shut for a while, as if a new day was dawning in Israel. Eli comes and finds him to figure out what the evening's commotion was all about, and he quickly realized something happened. Eli forces Samuel to reveal what God has said, and since it's bad news for Eli's whole family, we understand Samuel's hesitancy about delivering bad news to the most important person in his world, and really the most powerful person in his country. But eventually Samuel relays the bad news faithfully and honestly. And in some ways, from this point on in the story, we start to see a shift in the balance of power as the leadership of Eli comes to a close and the transfer of power begins toward Samuel, as he begins to take the reins of leadership in Israel. But what I want us to focus on today, as we try and apply this message to our lives, and as we try and understand what it means to be anointed and set apart, is that I want us to compare and contrast Samuel and Eli's response to the Word of God. And more specifically, I, I want us to look at how they differ in their proximity to God, their receptivity to God, and their response to God. Proximity, receptivity, and response. And we'll start by comparing their proximity to God. As our story begins, you'll notice that Eli is in his normal spot, presumably near the temple of the Lord, but it doesn't seem like he's in it. But our passage says that Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The distance is is highlighted even further every time the Lord calls. We see Samuel running away from the ark to where Eli was. He doesn't just respond to Eli. He physically has to leave God's presence and go to Eli. And at this point, I'm not making a statement about right or wrong. Because... The Bible doesn't make that point. As far as we know, Eli is exactly where he's supposed to be, and Samuel's exactly where he's supposed to be. Or Samuel's not where he's supposed to be. We don't know. But I do want to make the point that Samuel is physically closer to the Lord. He has adjusted his life to be near God, and he's created space for God. And as I think about this, I'm left wondering, where are we? Where are you? Where am I in our proximity to God? Do you find yourself in the temple? Do you find yourself a bit more distant? Does it simply feel like God is more distant no matter where you are? It's interesting that by some accounts, both of these two people are closer to God than most. But when you focus in, Eli There seems to be a distance there. And here's the more troubling part of that. Because Eli is distant, so is Israel. Since Eli is one of the leaders, uh, the leader of Israel at this time, if Eli is distant from the Lord, so are the people. This is one of the more scary parts of the faith, though it's also true in a lot of other contexts as well. How you live matters more than just to you. If if you're a leader in any regard, from pastor to parent, from teacher to team member, your faith and your nearness to God directly affects those you lead and those you come in contact with. I found myself saying this a couple of times recently in all manner of different contexts to parents especially, but again, it's true in any role that the best thing you can do for your kids is to model what you preach. So if you want them to be in shape, you want them to exercise, you need to get outside and get in shape. If you want them to have good relationships in their lives, you need to make sure that you make relationships a priority in your lives. And if you want them to have a good faith, the best thing you can do for their faith is for you to take your faith seriously. You get closer to God, and they will probably follow. And that's not to say that they can't take responsibility for their own proximity to God, because surely Samuel does. But it's better if it's modeled. So again, our question is where are you in proximity to God? Which brings us to our second point of contrast how receptive are Samuel and Eli to the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, our overall proximity to God may be less important than our actual orientation towards God. The direction we're facing may say more about uh, our overall nearness to God. Because facing God and moving toward Him changes how receptive we are when He speaks. In some ways, it's clear that Eli is more familiar with God. He's in some ways closer in that sense, and yet we also see that he doesn't seem to be as available for God. He's not as available as Samuel to God's Word. It seems like Eli is less receptive to God's calling. Now, you may say that that's unfair. It's an unfair characterization, because clearly God is calling Samuel and not Eli. But I find Eli's complete lack of curiosity fascinating. Eli is completely unfazed and undisturbed and uninterested in God's voice. And this is only made more unusual because our passage begins by telling us that the word of God was rare in those days. In other words, if God spoke all the time, then maybe you could justify staying in bed. But if it never happened, and it's happening right now, it strikes me that maybe it would be worth it for a person of God, I don't know, a priest maybe, to get out of bed and investigate. Especially since he's supposed to be helping and leading young Samuel in his walk of faith. Wouldn't it be more helpful if Eli followed Samuel back to his bed, and they waited together for the Lord to call. And then Eli would be there to help Samuel understand what it was that the Lord was calling him to be and what he was calling him to do. But that's not what our passage says. Instead, Eli simply goes back to sleep. Samuel, by contrast, is not only hearing it, but he's running all over the place trying to locate and listen to it. In some ways, his antics look childish, but in other ways, they look faithfully mature. Samuel wants to tune in to to hear God's word. I mean, you could almost picture Samuel as trying to point his antenna in the direction of God to set the frequency to hear God's voice. For all those who don't know, antennas used to be big metal arrays that you would point in directions to try and pick up radio signals or TV signals. They've kind of disappeared recently, but that's kind of what that is. Samuel is trying to locate the source and the frequency of the message. He actually wants to hear God. I find the contrast striking. Samuel was interested, and Eli seems like he couldn't be less interested. And so I'm left wondering, how receptive are you to hearing God's Word? I wonder how interested you are. I wonder if you're trying to tune into God, or if your life is so full that God is having trouble simply getting the signal through. I wonder if we actually have to invest in and engage with our faith in order to hear God better. I wonder if it's by living the faith out that we become more aware of God's presence in our lives. And then finally we remember that the purpose of being receptive is not only that we can hear, but so that we can respond to the callings of God. And Eli and Samuel respond very differently to the word of God. Now at first blush, Samuel takes this word and he seems to want to hide it and not do anything with it. And I think it's worth noting that that's probably not something you're supposed to emulate when God speaks to us. That said, it's also understandable. Samuel receives horrible news for Eli and his family, which has, unbeknownst to Samuel, already been prophesied before. Eli already knows the news but let's simply acknowledge the difficulty of bringing bad news to your mentor, to your friend, not to mention the most powerful person in your world. The other way of looking at this, though, is that the word of God and the calling of God changes Samuel's response. He acts differently after he heard God's voice. And ultimately, we know that the calling changes him because he believes in God in a different way after this but again remember we're contrasting Samuel's reaction to Eli's at first glance Eli seems much more interested in what the Lord was saying but when he finally does hear about the Lord's message we see he's actually relatively resigned about it in other words his response is a relatively minor one in the scheme of things one reason for this is simply that he knows that this is his fate and there's nothing he can do Another reason is simply that he doesn't think he can do anything about it. He doesn't seem to care much anymore. A third reason may be that he knows that God is moving toward Samuel's leadership and away from his own. But whatever the case, Eli's reaction and Eli's response are very different from Samuel's. I wonder how you respond to God's voice in your life. I wonder how important the things of God are in your life. Are they important enough that you might need to reshape things in your life? That you might actually have to live differently because of God in your life and God's calling upon it? Are you like Samuel, who not just believes God, but believes in God and therefore allows himself to be changed by God? Or are you more like Eli, who believes in God, but doesn't seem to particularly care. And thus you just keep living the way you've always been living. How do you respond to God's word in your life? Because I think more often than not, as much as we like to not think we do, I think more often than not we do have a good idea of what God wants us to do. I think it's actually not as hard as we try and make it. I think there are times on a regular basis where we know right from wrong. We know, I probably should reach out to that person. I probably should pick up the phone. I probably should serve this way. I probably should do this. But I didn't hear God's voice. So, I'll just go back. Or I'm just kind of busy today, so unless I hear verbally, audibly, God's voice, I'm going to choose to do what's on my to-do list because that's actually on the list and this other stuff it's not. So I'm just going to do what's easier. How do we respond to God's word in our lives? Do we allow it to change us? So to sum up, we obviously all need to be working on our proximity to God, how receptive we are to God, and our responsiveness to God. But before we're done, there's some good news in this passage too. And it's so obvious, we all probably missed it. Because our passage reveals something wholly incredible about God. God calls Samuel, and Samuel doesn't get it. So, God calls Samuel a second time, and Samuel doesn't get it. And God calls Samuel a third time, and Samuel still doesn't get it. This time, at least, he gets some help. At which point, God calls a fourth time, and Samuel finally hears. We serve a God who doesn't just give us one chance. We serve a God who doesn't just call and speak to us, and if you weren't listening, we're done. But we serve a God who calls and he calls and he calls and he calls until we get it. It's as if God wants us to learn how to listen. It's as if God wants us to learn how to be more receptive to his calling in our lives. And so he keeps calling until we hear. Maybe we need to work on opening our ears to hear him better. And I'll close with simply this little vignette that I found. Ronald Meredith, in his book, Hurrying Big for Little Reasons, describes one quiet night in early spring. Suddenly out of the night came the sound of wild geese flying. I ran to the house and breathlessly announced the excitement I felt. What is to compare with wild geese across the moon? It might have ended there except for the sight of our tame mallards on the pond. They heard the wild call they had once known. The honking out of the night sent little arrows of prompting deep into their wild yesterdays. Their wings fluttered a feeble response. The urge to fly, to take their place in the sky for which God made them, was sounding in their feathered breasts, but they never raised from the waters. You see, the matter had been settled long ago. The corn of the barnyard was too tempting. Now their desire to fly only made them uncomfortable. Temptation is always enjoyed at the price of losing the capacity for flight. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who keeps calling. That you call and you call and you call again. Because, Lord, we confess to you that we aren't good at listening. And sometimes we don't even recognize your voice when you're calling. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to to get closer to you even today. Lord, help us be more receptive to your calling in our lives. Help us tune in to, to what it is you're saying to us. And help us respond. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he was not only close to you, he was you, but he was also receptive to your calling. And he lived his life responding to your call in it. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to focus in more on what it is you're saying to us. And then help us live out what we hear. Lord, we thank you. And we say again today, here I am. Send me. Amen. Let's stand as we continue in worship.